Hey, what's up, Jordan? How's it going? Hey, Rob. How are you feeling? I know you are just getting back to the office. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to say thank you for uh, approving my time off request. There, uh, it was a it was a heavy it was a heavy day last week losing a a, a titan like that, an icon, Henry Kissinger, and uh, I'm still not over it. You know, I'm I'm slowly putting on, putting myself back together here, but <laughs> losing someone that I considered, you know, an, an an icon, a mentor, a friend, of course, one of the primary uh, board members of the Insurgents LLC, it hurts. You know, it hurts to know that he's gone before his time. I met with him last week. He was just did you see him? He was just a picture of health. It's just really shocking. It's really upsetting. So I'm, yeah, we're back, but Our, am I all the way back? I don't know if I ever will be, but I understand. And we'll we'll make space for you to grieve properly. Our bereavement policy, Thank you. I believe, is one of the most generous in the biz, and we take great pride in that. Uh, unfortunately, we've, we've lost a lot of great comrades along the way doing this show, and yeah, this. This cut a lot deeper. I still don't know if I've processed it. No. Um, no, me neither. Excuse me. You know, it's sad, but uh, I think that's what he would want. He would want us to continue doing the show, you know? Yeah. Sometimes when we would get down and we would call him up and have those kind of those classic group chats, and he'd say, please, boys, you must continue to do the podcast. It's like he's here with us right now. Wow. <laughs> sounded exactly like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I think that's what he would want. So this one's dedicated to Henry Kissinger. Yeah. Gone, but certainly not forgotten. The board vacancy, I was hoping that would not be a lasting issue because we do need to have quorum on the yeah. board. But Thankfully, Larry Summers did step <laughs> up, and he will be he will be replacing Henry Kissinger on the insurgents board. Good. So that yeah. is, that's great news. Peter Thiel was busy too, so I wasn't sure if it was going to we were going to be able to get uh, one of the heavy hitters like that. Right. So that's great. He he remains an underwriter of the show, which is which is vital. Without his support, we would not be able to do this. <laughs> all the all the paid interns know that like a small percentage of of their their monthly contribution goes to financing Peter Thiel's uh young young person blood exchange uh program. Right. And we're really fact, grateful. We do, we do demand that the interns as well give so just a little bit, you know, just you, a little bit of blood uh, every month. <laughs> he beat me to it. Yeah. I was just going to do the T man, <laughs> as, as we call him. <laughs> Those blood oh. drives are vital. <laughs> and we, <laughs> our weekly, weekly insurgents blood drives. We thank you, everyone, for participating. You're saving a life. We thank you, but it is a bit story as well. You One to... single life.
Oh, oh, you have to laugh. No, um, you know, I was, I was sorry to have missed the episode last week on such a momentous uh, occasion. I was, I was doing a, I was at a meeting here in Montreal with some of my media friends here. Uh, we're, we're planning some stuff. We're plotting and planning some interesting stuff oh, to. Shit, big things coming, Rob Rousseau. Big things coming, and uh, watch this space exactly. Oh boy. Um. So yeah, that was disappointing. It was just, uh, it, you know, it was, I, I tried to resist the urge to be like the scold guy being like, you know, he kind of won. Kissinger kind of won. Like he made it to 100, lived a long uh, life, never faced really any repercussions or justice whatsoever for his numerous crimes. But I realized at the same time, just like, why, what's the purpose of being that guy right now? Like, let people have this one. People were happy. People were celebrating, and I was like, "What am I? I'm going to tell them they're wrong to do that." Of course not. Of course, I'm not going to do that. So, it was it was fun. It was a fun. It was a f- we're there were an extreme shortage of actually fun, enjoyable times on on Twitter or excuse me, X dot com, the everything app lately. Right. So that was nice. It was nice to see people happy and so cel- yeah. celebrating the death of a horrible person. Like that's that's the kind <laughs> of thing that Twitter is there for. I think so. That was good. It was a really fun episode with Spencer, and I will admit I fell more into the he got everything he wanted and died peacefully at home with his family yeah. camp. On the other end of the spectrum, the takes that really I found funny were people saying, like, why do you even care? He hasn't been irrelevant in decades. And as we talked about, or as I talked about with Spencer, we're still finding out more about what he did and his legacy. The death count in Southeast Asia continues to grow, even as yeah. recent as earlier this year, due to There's his actions. There's still kids so being named in Cambodia and Laos because yep. of the the bombing and the mining that was done. Um, yeah. During that so illegal made- war, you know, America was not at war with either of those two nations and yeah. committed a horrible mass murder uh, there. And also, it's just, it's not even about Kissinger, but it's about the, the ruling class in the United States and the United States government. I think one of the d- really disturbing things about Kissinger is that, like, he was almost a moderate at this point. I think a lot of people in the United States government have actually gone way beyond uh, Kissinger. And he he had kind of, like, taken up position as kind of like the salty old diplomat um, who was almost, like, more reasonable than a lot. Not to, you don't have to hand it to Henry Kissinger. I don't think you do. But... Um, you know, they sent him to to China to calm down that situation a little bit a few months ago, and and clearly in China he's still someone that uh, they hold in a pretty high respect and high regard, um, which is somewhat understandable because uh, his actions with the Nixon administration when they first visited China and got the kind of ball rolling on uh, forming a sort of co-op partnership, recognizing the PRC. Uh, leading to them eventually opening up their economy like without without that situation uh you know the china that we see now modern china which has really developed a lot since that time uh probably would look a whole lot different so it's kind of understandable why he's viewed that way there um again you don't have to hand it to him but i think i think it, it, he's kind of an avatar for just the the total depravity of uh of the American ruling class, bipartisan, like you saw Hillary Clinton kind of bragging about being his friend, and you know, it's it's it says a lot about the kind of people who work in the United States government in the 
security apparatus in this day in in the intelligence apparatus and their values and the kind of things that they represent and it doesn't say anything good a school of thought that many have adopted in our foreign policy our statecraft has it's it's has lingering multi-generational effects so this wasn't just one guy and his actions were not just limited to when he was in a public office it's going to last much long much longer uh beyond him when that's the horrifying part i would encourage people to, if you haven't already to check out the interview with spencer ackerman that came out last week i would also encourage people to check out our episode from earlier this week with jason kebler of 404 media where we talked about chat gpt and what google researchers found when they asked chat gpt to repeat the same word forever after a certain amount of uh, repetitions it would start spitting out raw data, including people's personal information, their contact information, and much, much more, which in, I guess informed the Google researchers that ChatGPT's, quote, learning model is really just scraping the internet and regurgitating uh, it to ChatGPT users. Uh, what did you make of, of that conversation? I think that really just solidified me in my hate for this specific type of AI. I was already leaning toward it, but this is just like, yeah, this is all bullshit. Yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit about in the, in the episode and I would encourage people to listen to it. Uh, I mean, you look at some of the function ability, like the functions of chat GPT. And sometimes I'm pretty amazed by the kind of things that it can do. Um, I think the, the conclusion though, is that we, that we kind of talked about is that this kind of technology um, when it's being wielded by these kind of Silicon Valley libertarian uh, tech dipshits is always going to be the sort of worst possible version of what it could be. And any kind of usefulness that it might have to make people's jobs easier, their lives easier, um, is never really going to be um, uh, pursued in any way. It's always just going to be about trying to um, become profitable for these the Silicon Valley overlords that control it. Um, and yeah, I mean, like you said, it's, uh, that's what these, these language models are is basically just taking as much as we frame it as being artificial intelligence. And we think this information is coming from some, some advanced new species or something, whatever these kind of like sci-fi obsessed weirdos, like, uh, think about it really it all, all it is, is just taking work that human beings have done and scraping it and kind of rearranging it in a different way. And you have a human being uh, writing the the prompt or the query, and then you have you know dozens or hundreds or thousands or more uh, of the work that actual human beings are doing are going. It's just chewing that up and spitting it back at you, back out at you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really infuriating. You can, but you can check out that episode if you go to insurgentspod.com. If you subscribe for just five bucks a month, you get access to that episode and a whole lot more. We give you an additional episode every week as a thank you, and you really help this show continue. Without your support, we could not do this, so we're really grateful to everyone who subscribes. That's insurgentspod.com. On that, regurgitating what someone else has done and passing it off as your own point. Rob, have you watched the H-Bomberman the f like the four hour H Bomberman YouTube video about plagiarism. Isn't it H Bomber Guy? So sorry, very sorry. <laughs> I think. H yeah, Bomber Guy. 
whatever. Uh, yeah, actually, I um, it was the kind of thing I. It's like this is almost four hours long, um, and it's just kind of this takedown of these YouTubers that I've just never heard of. So yeah, I, I doubt I'm going to watch this. But then he he is really good at what he does. Uh, of crafting that kind of content. And I found myself kind of compelled by it. I didn't sit down and watch yes. it all in one setting. Um, but I did, I'm, I think I have about another 10 minutes or something to make it through. Um, but I did find it kind of kind of compelling, especially when it got to the whole section on that James Summerton guy, who I had never yeah. actually heard of. I had never heard of his content, but I was really blown away by how brazen this like, the theft was that he had like built this whole huge brand around and was making it like a really ridiculous amount of money off of just like taking other people's work and words and writing and analysis and commentary and just basically like um, repackaging it and spinning it back out in a really, what I thought a pretty visually unappealing way. Like I was kind of perplexed <laughs> by how it was so fucking popular to begin with. I guess the people he was stealing from were talented enough. They were, they were connect their words and ideas were connecting with people, but I don't know. It's weird. It's just, it's something that's been going on in the internet for as long as the internet's been around this kind of like just uh, taking other people's ideas and passing them off on their own. But I think when you add in the kind of like commercial side of YouTube and the fact that people are making these huge livings, um, on Patreon and with ad revenue and sponsorships and whatever. And the way that people are now able to take that theft and not just like pass ideas or thoughts off uh, that are not theirs, pass them off on their own, but earn these huge incomes uh, from it. Like it's, it's really quite stunning. And I found, I found the whole takedown quite compelling and I did, I did get totally pulled into uh, watching it. I had the same reaction. I'm not a big YouTube consumer. No. Yeah. There are a couple channels that I will check. Mark Rober, that science YouTuber who does like the package, like the porch package prank stuff. And then he'll do a bunch of other like physics related things. I like that. And then I'll watch a lot of news and then I'll just kind of see whatever's in my search algorithm, whatever, or my YouTube algorithm. I'll just whatever. I'll just click around. And I saw this and then I saw the time same reaction as you. I'm like, what is this? I started like skipping around. I was like, I've never heard of any of these people. And I started near the beginning and like an hour later, I realized like, oh my God, I can't <laughs> stop watching. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and then I stopped and I was like, okay, I've seen enough. And then the next day it was on my front page again with this, at like the status bar was where I left off. And it's like, I, mean, I guess I'll watch the rest. And I just kept going. And then tonight he has like a, a, like a director's cut version with another 20 minutes or so on someone that he had to eliminate. And it's like, I, I'm watching that for sure. Like this is, this is so yeah. good. And like, like, like you, I didn't know any of the people he was talking about, but I was disturbed that people were just doing it so brazenly and almost in the same way. Like they all had the same pattern, just taking huge passages of text, passing it off as their own changing words here and there and often making what they were saying factually incorrect by their yeah. changes, which was so funny, uh, really entertaining. I, I mean, if you don't have time to watch all of it, I understand, but if people should at least check out some of it and then definitely watch like, about the last 20 minutes where he makes an impassioned case against this practice, obviously, but showing and arguing from a moral standpoint who you're hurting when you're doing this and why you should not 
support people who do this. Yeah, the um, the whole James Summerton thing I found just fascinating as well, especially because he was caught doing that kind of thing a while ago. And then rather than saying like, okay, maybe I should start you know, doing my own writing or creating my own content, he just totally continued and thought he had some kind of like lazy workaround where he would like kind of briefly mention the people that he was stealing from without actually like letting people know like what specifically like that they were contributing. And then just went right back to just like brazenly stealing so much stuff. It was, it's truly incredible. Like you'd think even when people are starting to suspect that you're doing that kind of thing, didn't seem like he took any really great steps to cover his tracks. There was that one, I, I, that was very cynical too, the whole part where like he accused someone of like sending him, doing harassment and giving him death yeah. threats or whatever, because someone <laughs> that was like politely going like, what's going on with this? Like, it seems like he copied a bunch of this and was very respectful. And the way these people that have big platforms and communities can wield that to like attack people that are, uh, correctly pointing out that they're completely unoriginal uh, uh, plagiarists, essentially. And then like, you know, rather than confronting that or, or being honest about it in any way, just like using the size of your community and your platform to to try and just shut the person up. It was just, uh, without knowing anything about them, it was just very satisfying to see the, the takedown. And you saw that uh, like his whole Discord and YouTube is all on private and all the comments are turned off and the Patreon is gone. Like he really, H-Bomber guy really channel. like dropped a nuclear, nuclear bomb on this guy. Yeah, yeah. His whole YouTube channel is empty now. I just saw a tweet tonight. The death threat thing, I think we should start employing yeah, to well, that's benefit the show to yeah. grow the show. Um, because nine times out of ten, when someone is doing that, they're just being hysterical or straight up lying. Sure, there's definitely people who get legitimate threats, but I feel like the people who are doing it the loudest and the most frequent and always in response to something that they have done and they're facing scrutiny for their actions, it's always rolled out. Like, I think we should start doing that, though, just in general, just every couple of days. Yeah. Like, oh, I you have to subscribe to the insurgents because we are getting death. <laughs> You're getting death. When people start making fun of me for being Canadian, I'll be like, you should support me because people are threatening no, to, to murder. I me think now. that's OK. That's OK. <laughs> that's acceptable. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. All the people that make this claim, they never seem to want to. Sh- I'm too. I'm not, I'm above showing you evidence of this. OK, that's don't don't ask me for evidence. Just of these believe me. Threats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah anyway so i was surprised i wasn't really planning on watching it but uh it was very enjoyable he makes he's, oh, good. he's good at he's good at doing this stuff h-bomber guy but he did really drop an h-bomb on that guy's whole uh oh, career fuck. you know rob don't feel taking too bad you, about it i'm taking you now to the world of sports okay we're zooming in on the buffalo bills did you hear the news <laughs> <laughs> listen a coach is just trying no, to let me, let's, get, let's, let's set the story up. Let's set the story up. <laughs> about being cohesive. I, I think it's, it's illegal unique, now to do that, I guess. It's a unique lesson. Yeah. Okay. So if people are unfamiliar, Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, apologized this week after a, I think, a blog. I don't want to certainly not to discredit this person and their publication, but I believe it was a Substack or a blog. Someone wrote a three-part piece about the cultural problems inside the Buffalo Bills organization. 
One of these included a speech that the head coach gave four years ago, inspiring the players during training camp. And here's a quote from this blog. We're not trying to pass this off as our own. At St. John Fisher College in Pittsburgh, New York, McDermott's morning address began innocently enough. He told the entire team they needed to come together. But then, sources on hand say, he used a strange model. The terrorists on September 11th, 2001. He cited the hijackers as a group of people who were all able to get on the same page to orchestrate attacks to perfection. One by one, McDermott started asking specific players in the room questions. What tactics do you think they used to come together? A young player tried to methodically answer. What do you think was their biggest? What do you think their biggest obstacle was? A veteran answered TSA, which mercifully lightened the room. And that is from Tyler Dunn. Uh, he's an independent journalist who released this on his go long newsletter titled the McDermott problem. You know, that is, we'll get into uh, the, <laughs> the speech itself, but as a point, uh, you know, just to push back, a quick fact check, TSA did not exist on September 11th. Yeah, as a result of that. So exactly. Pretty disappointing stuff. Expect yeah. better from the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> well, I've often said, you know, that uh, the Buffalo Bills, they're a likable franchise, but the thing that they really need to get to the next level is if they were able to get an assist from Saudi intelligence. <laughs> some funding, some training. They set them up in some apartments, give them some... Some lessons, so you know, funny. that could really help them. I think that could really help bring them together. <laughs> what tactics do you think they use to come together is such a great question. I don't know. Yeah, that uh, is lessons that is a great in leadership. I'm wondering. So this, I guess I didn't pay enough attention to this story. This was a couple of years ago. Like this is not from this yes. season. Okay. I right. See. It was from four years ago that was surfaced this week and he apologized and was talking about how important of a day that is to his family. I believe they lost somebody uh, and he apologized. Right. And like, no one's expecting football coaches to be bright. I think I'll admit, I think this is a very funny story, but I also understand this is not the best example to give on leadership and teamwork. Surely you can find other examples yeah. of people working together to accomplish their goals. I think so. Yeah, it's extremely funny. I would like to. I would like to know what the thought process was. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's very strange. Like I'm wondering what you could learn from that in like a football context. Like you know, <laughs> do you we just need to really come together? And if we if we take our hatred of the great Satan, the United States of America, and <laughs> use that to to motivate ourselves, you know, I want to I want to know if he wrote it out the night before. Like just taking just on note cards, like okay, nine eleven tactics, obstacles, just going in there thinking like this is going to get everyone fired up. We're gonna have a great day of practice. <laughs> or do you think this is off the cuff? Because it, it's so much funnier to me if you wrote it out in advance. I think so. I mean, this doesn't seem like something that you would just think up on the spot. It seems like That's this is like a this was planned. This was meticulously planned <laughs> and coordinated. <laughs> So here's how our did, other team. Did the Buffalo Bills like execute? Did the administration know about it before it happened and just allow it to happen? That's the question. That's a great question. 
What did they know and when did they know it? Yeah, exactly. That's what I want to know. <laughs> and did they use did they use that to then like further their objectives that they had? That's I think that's the these are the hard hitting questions that we need to know about here. Love it. <laughs> this is <laughs> I don't know, it's been uh, a rocky start to me being a fan of this franchise. I've really tried to a great year. I've watched a lot of bills games this year or most, I've tried to watch most of them. You know, I, I want to be in, I still don't, I don't feel quite the emotional attachment that I'm hoping to eventually have to really get me invested in this sport, but it's been a rocky year for, for bills nation. And this is just, this is just another setback, but I think we can over, I think we're going to be able to overcome it. They are, they are having a rough year. Um, they just are not playing as good as they are. Josh Allen has some accuracy issues, some judgment issues on the field, just throwing a lot of picks. They're not going to win that division. That's Miami's division this year. But they might squeak in in the wild card. We'll see. Two really bad losses in a row. Two. What was they? There was a there was a game where they there was a field goal, a winning field goal that got they missed and got called back because of a penalty and then they got a second chance and won the game there in the last moment uh, i can't remember who was that against do you remember e- eagles maybe well then it was the, the next Broncos. week against the eagles they hit a they made a 60 yard field goal in the rain as time ran out to tie the game and then ended up going to win in overtime oh so, i think two, the broncos two, they lost to the broncos yeah two they, they beat almost the certain wins that turned into losses in the heartbreaking fashion in the final moments that's what bills that's what bills football is all about though heartbreaking losses so i'm glad that i signed up for this now it's yeah good. that eagles bills game though was great yeah it was good that was a great game just to yeah. watch it was awesome tough for bills nation and bills nation members like yourself but yep. it was such a fun game to watch my god that those i mean the eagles uh, they didn't look great against San Francisco last week, but well, I, I still think they're probably the best team in the NFC. I just think they're having, they're having a little bit of a rough patch, but they'll be fine. Well, I'm just looking forward to more more of football action over the coming. I can't weeks. believe you're you're finally in. You're finally yeah, in. It's fun. I've been trying for years. Yeah, I like it. I hang around on Sundays all day and watch the watch the football. It's very the enjoyable. Football. Like I said, I just, I don't have quite the, I need that emotional attachment. That's the last thing that I'm missing to get really, really on board with this, but I'm working on it. I'm trying to force it. I believe in you. it goes. Yeah. You'll get it. Thank you. (laughs) Did you watch any of the NBA in-season tournament? Yeah, I've been kind of enjoying that. It seems like it's an interesting way to have something kind of fun and exciting going on in the, in the early weeks of the season, which are maybe sometimes a bit more of a slog. I like the, the courts. I liked how the games had kind of a different feel. Um, it's cool. I just saw the Pacers may, are making it to the finals. The Pacers are a lot of fun this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's been kind of a success. I think it's the kind of thing that it's going to take probably a few years. Like when there's more of a prestige about it and there's more of a, a legacy to winning that tournament, I think it's going to seem like more of a big deal. And this is kind of the yeah. first year where where it's all new and no one really knows what the rules are, and it's a little strange and and different. But I think it's I think it's overall a, a cool idea that I'm glad that they're incorporating. Um, so looking forward to see how that how that works out. You know, as the years uh, progress here. Yeah, could it could shake out to be 
Pacers-Lakers, which is an interesting final. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Lakers yeah, it's finally been coming a, around. It's been, a, it's been a not great year so far for the, the Raptors fandom. It's not been terrible. It's very it, the vibes have been just all over the place. It's been a, a emotional roller coaster so far. There's been a a lot of really there's a, been a lot of bad losses and there's been some surprising wins against good teams where they look pretty good. Um, I guess as a Raptors fan, I got kind of spoiled because there was about eight years where they were just routinely good to very good, and after after watching a team for a long time that is mediocre to bad, it was nice and you kind of got used to those those eight years or so of, you know, winning around 50 games, making the playoffs, maybe making the second round. Of course, the championship in 2019, which was still very, still very happy that that happened. And I'm still holding on to that and has, has dulled the pain of some of the other, the subsequent events that have happened. Um, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a bit of a slog so far this season. So it's been, it's been nice to, to focus on like the the IST and other things going on, and because the rest of, the rest of that's been a little bit disappointing. Yeah, i I can't get over how demented the courts are. I, I love like it. every time. Every time I see a clip of the tournament in those courts, it's like jarring. Just, I'm so used to you know just the standard vanilla basketball courts, and you yeah. get these like mind fuck of a course. <laughs> it's so much. It's I'm so overwhelming. It. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I like it. Memphis's look just terrible. That's the <laughs> one that really stands out. It was fucking atrocious. Yeah. Oh. No, I'm into it. I'm into it. I'm looking. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that final. I think that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That should be good. What's else? What else is on the on the agenda? It's been. It's nice to get back to a little bit of chit chat, a little bit of sports chat, and focusing on some other things. Um, but it's also kind of like it's still impossible to escape the violence and the horror that's unfolding in Gaza right now. You know, it's it's uh, it's nice to have a little respite from that and be able to, to focus on some other things. But I'm it's just I, I still find myself just totally uh, shocked every single day at the escalating levels of, of violence and depravity that we're seeing. I thought it was especially jarring this week how you know after this quote unquote ceasefire ended this kind of four day pause when you saw this exchange of hostages and you know that th- that ends the violence resumes it's interesting because they they of course Palestinians get blamed for ending the ceasefire as if Israel was just on the, they were just on the verge of expending of uh, extending that indefinitely they were they were so anxious to really totally <laughs> have a full ceasefire and have to work together and side by side to restore peace until those dastardly Palestinians just forced their hand. <laughs> um, and so the violence resumes, like you can look at different figures about civilian casualties right now. Like I think the official figure that I last saw was somewhere around 16,000 people, civilians that have now been killed in Gaza with probably, you know, hundreds or possibly thousands more people buried under the rubble. You've seen images of Gaza right now, and it looks like an atom bomb went off there. Um, no, but I was, I was really stunned this week, I think, when the, you know, the violence resumes and we're seeing that level of depravity and, and, and the, the nonstop stream of horrifying images and stories resumes. And I've been really blown away by the way that in the media and in our, in our political conversations it seems like they want to talk about anything else other than that violence which they're openly subsidizing and uh 
supporting. And it was, I thought it was really strange this week. And it in a in a seemingly very coordinated way, like as soon as the week kicked off, the only narrative that that was being discussed really was this like claim of these mass roving Hamas rape gangs on October 7th. And you had like Hillary Clinton talking about it and uh, David Frum, who of course you can trust when it comes to this kind of information, uh, obviously. You saw that interview with Pramila Jayapal and she was like questioned about this. Like I was blown away Mm -hmm. by, by that interview like it's it was absolutely insane uh Pramila Jayapal, who's trying to take a a moral stance on this and is kind of trying to talk about the need for a ceasefire and just completely kind of like all that message just entirely undercut by like suggesting that she's somehow okay with or celebrating sexual violence against people these really just reiterating these these ancient colonialist tropes about you know uh these these barbarian hordes that you know the colonial outposts like israel are protecting western civilization from um which has been used time and time again like you go into the jim crow south or all these other the settlement of the united states you know always the threat of uh, of sexual violence against the virginal beautiful women is like the one of the primary kind of propaganda techniques that's used to justify further colonialism and further violence and uh, further dehumanization. And I thought it was so gross how after this violence resumes, rather than talking about, you know, the depravity of that and the criminality of that, we're talking about these kind of like very difficult to disprove uh, allegations, which are not really based in any real testimony about these like not just like sexual assaults that may or may not have happened, but some kind of like coordinated, organized effort on the part of Palestinians to use this as like a tool of uh, of war. This like this very coordinated message. Um, as soon as this week kicked off, and as soon as the ceasefire ended, that's what the that's what the discourse was, and you know it it says a lot about the role that the media plays in helping to uh, continue this uh, this violence. And what was interesting to me was how it got so out of hand that even the IDF responded by saying, "Like, all right, everyone, just let's just let's slow a roll a little bit. We really don't know if any of this is happening." Prem Thakar of the Intercept. I really hope I pronounced your name right. I'm sorry if I didn't. Said the IDF says that discourse about the state of hostages is becoming, quote, irresponsible and, quote, inaccurate. This after U.S. State Department official Matthew Miller suggested that Hamas held back held back female hostages to stop them from speaking out about what had been done to them. It included a screenshot of an article that says the IDF says public discussions about the state of captives held in Gaza has moved into reckless territory, urging those responsible to knock it off. The comp quote, the conversation around the issue is irresponsible, inaccurate, and should be avoided, the IDF says in a rare statement. The pushback is apparently in response to comments from U.S. State Department spokesman Mac Miller, Matthew Miller, blah, 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 that Hamas terrorists are likely uh, Hamas terrorists likely held back on freeing female hostages because it did not want them to speak publicly about being subjected to rape and other sexual violence. Now, that Jayapal interview was just really ridiculous. But Dana Bash has, since day one, 
framed her coverage and there's others at CNN who have really framed their coverage just on the hostages and just on October 7th. Very rarely do they ever talk about what is currently happening today, what just happened yesterday, what happened the day before that. It is always on October 7th. It's a very pro-Israel framing on that network. Maybe they're doing it for ratings. Maybe they feel like the, the more sympathetic story and something that Americans can rally behind is freeing these hostages. You know what? Sure, maybe create some space for that argument. I would. I think it is just media's proclivity to continue to bang the war drum and they're using these devices to do so. I don't think I'm going out too far on a limb to say that. They, You see in this conflict specifically, especially when you compare it to Ukraine, how the media creates worthy and unworthy victims. In Ukraine, of course, we saw an outpouring of support. Everyone abandoned their editorial standards to show support for Ukraine. There was no question about standing with Ukraine. You were free to editorialize, to just cast them as pure victims, completely uh, unresponsible for anything that is happening at all whatsoever. Here, it's, well, this is justified. We're encouraging Ukrainians to create Molotov cocktails to throw at Russian tanks on mainstream media. Not only celebrating, but instructing self-defense. Yeah. And then you juxtapose that with with this conflict. If you're lucky, you get a segment where it starts out with "Will you condemn Hamas?" or in this case, with Jayapal, "Will you condemn rape?" Do you think? Do you think the answer was going to be yeah. no? Like, why are you asking that if not to set this deceptive framing for that conversation? Like, what what was your fucking what was your what did you think she was going to say? And why repeatedly? It's ridiculous. I I just that she yeah. was asked that is so absurd, but it shows how they are completely unwilling to have a conversation that is purely about diplomacy. It has to be a pro-war first diplomacy, maybe second, third, fourth type of conversation. Yeah. And then, so I saw as well, piling on that, another CNN anchor, uh, Biana Golodriga quote tweeted that, because of course, then that got spun into this whole like faux outrage cycle where apparently Pramila Jayapal didn't forcefully condemn rape enough um, and so then the people were suggesting that she said, suggested that it was okay or, or that she supported it implicitly somehow, um, completely phony astroturfed kind of little outrage cycle there. So that she got quote tweeted by this, uh, Biana Golodriga, another CNN anchor. She said, Rep Jayapal, most wars don't feature premeditated rape as part of the war plan. Individual acts of rape from lack of discipline, which tragically does occur in war is different from quote, preconceived and premeditated rapes, which as one leading expert told me was Hamas's plan. And who is this leading expert? Well, we don't know. We have no idea. Uh, she never really made that clear. But a port, like this was just totally spoken into existence, not just by the United States government, but like people in the media. Uh, this just became like a fact that that was the claim, right? Not that there were sexual assaults that happened um, or anything like that, but there was this premeditated uh, plan uh, to engage in this kind of like sexual violence. And that was deliberately part of their plan. Never really specified like where this information is coming from or who these experts are that are, that are talking about this. But again, like this is, this is at a time when 16,000 people have been murdered. And like, you got to wonder like if we're really, if we're trying to protect women from violence, sexual and otherwise, 
as a side note, there's been numerous accusations and testimonials about Palestinian women that have been victims of sexual violence in Israeli prisons. Didn't seem to be too much of a concern for these CNN anchors or anyone else that was engaging in this kind of news cycle to even mention that. But uh, like the question is, is it good for like if we're if we're interested in defending women from violence, sexual and otherwise, is it good when tens of thousands of Palestinian women have bombs dropped on them on on their homes? Uh, and have their entire families murdered their children is that is that protecting women like is that really like promoting like the safety and the sanctity of women or protecting that like no no one that was making these claims has even seemed interested at all in talking about that in any way um you know over 10,000 Palestinian women and children have been killed over the last two months and none of these CNN anchors not Hillary Clinton not anyone that was that was so determined to like promote this specific narrative about uh, Israeli women being victims of sexual violence thought to even mention that uh, mention the fact that Palestinian women are being murdered right now uh, by the by the thousands um, by the government that they're supporting by kind of making these claims you know the the cynicism of it is just like really just made me sick to my stomach. Yeah. It's very easy to say it's all bad and cover it all. If that's what you want, if there was evidence for this, which Evan Hill, the New York Times, when quoting Julia Ioff, who ran with this claim credulously, this is also the same reporter who for months was pushing the Havana Syndrome hoax that ended up totally being debunked, but she was one of the chief uh, stenographers for the Havana syndrome hoax, or it really just seemed like a play to get more funding for the intelligence state. She, uh, well, they're really hard Evan up Hill right pointed now. Out, so. Yeah, they're struggling. <laughs> We're, we got to go fund me in the show notes. Please chip in. Evan Hill, who's like the forensic uh, investigator. Oh, actually, I think he's at the Washington Post. He was at the Times. He pointed out that no U.S. official has provided any evidence for these claims. And then, of course, we just mentioned the IDF even said, just everyone fucking relax. Like, this is irresponsible. But despite that, like, let's say even if it was, even if they did have evidence, you need to talk about both. You need to talk about rape, sexual assault being used as a weapon of war. It happens in conflicts, and this is one of the many, many reasons why you should always push for diplomacy to completely avoid it. Don't create an environment where militarized forces have total power over unarmed innocent civilians where you don't bring out the absolute fucking worst in people by ignoring people who are being killed and then only framing one side as a women's rights issue really reminds me of the reaction a lot of these same reporters and a lot of these same media outlets had after the u.s withdrew from afghanistan do you remember that oh yeah the, that's the when weeks, all of a sudden the women's rights all, was really the the top yeah it's like concern. oh my god oh now all yeah. these, these women are losing their rights in afghanistan because the u.s withdrew do you think killing do you think dropping bombs on their homes was helping them do you think killing them was helping them like we, we there's never a conversation about women's rights or equality or justice or fairness when the u.s media has deemed a group of people, a country, an ethnicity, a region, whatever, as a worthy target. There's never any inclusion of these topics. It's only when we want to sell more war do you see these types of issues, causes, missions weaponized. It's really fucking disgusting. Yeah, I mean, I I, I am often uh, kind of blown away by the, the cynicism involved in 
weaponizing these very serious issues, women's rights, uh, LGBTQ rights, and weaponizing those in order to justify, you know, bombing, violence, destabilization. Um, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And it really like, it gives ammunition to these like, uh, reactionary kind of cultural conservative types who view these, these rights and these social justice issues as being, uh, uh, not worthy of supporting. And then they see that are, are these, it's, these things are being employed to justify or whitewash or pinkwash as it were, um, just horrendous violence. And it, it, delegitimizes all these struggles and harms women and harms LGBTQ people when they're used as a sort of justification. I mean, we hear this often about Gaza and about uh, queer Palestinians. Like all of a sudden the conservatives are really so concerned <laughs> about the, the plight, the plight of queer Palestinians. This is why we must continue to drop uh, thousands of bombs on Gaza, which certainly does not help queer Palestinians, you know? Um, it's just, it's absolutely disgusting the way that these are, this way that this is employed. And it shows how disingenuous as an example. Um, did you see that John Fetterman post where he posted oh my God, today? Yeah. The hummus thing. The yeah. Drake meme, the Drake meme, because <laughs> people were, were talking about BDS and the, the Sabra hummus brand, which is on the BDS list for a while because it's made in the occupied territories. And so he does this Drake meme about protests, how they could be protesting Hamas raping women, which is, again, now it's just this factual statement that anyone can just feel free to just wield at any point. Um, but instead, and then Drake, yes, is protesting hummus. And it's like, I don't even know what to say about that. Like, what the fuck's wrong with this guy? Um, like, that's not, that's not sending an indication that you actually care about the plight of women in these kind of conflict regions or people being victims of sexualized violence. You're trivializing that. You're trivializing that and joking around about it to post a meme to score points on your own constituents um, who are trying to do whatever they can to um, you know, organize against this, like, uh, apartheid regime that's in the process of committing mass murder and genocide. You're not coming across as someone that actually cares about, you know, women or protecting women's rights or protecting women from sexual violence. Really just absolutely sickening. And it's amazing how whatever progressive goodwill this guy might have had um, has just been completely squandered over the last couple of weeks. Um, just a sick person, honestly. Yeah, the charm really wore off quick for him. Like he yeah, had a he's bunch still trying of to do the big thing. Oh, I'm just a big, I'm just a big old guy, and I love wearing shorts in the winter. And it's like yeah. you can't do that now. Like no, dress like the fucking job you have, sir. Yeah, I'm like I'm, I'm doing a 180 on the hoodie and shorts thing, even yeah, though that's we all I wear. Him. The hoodie people, yeah. we don't claim him yeah, anymore. He's, he's out. Of us he's here. out of the club. Yeah, you see the you see the interview in the halls of Congress. Someone's like, "Oh, Doctor Oz is here. Do you have anything to say?" And he's like. Uh, how about he can he can cash me outside? How about that? <laughs> Fucking sick five year old meme, man. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, you can't do that kind of stuff. No. You lost when you're your enthusiastically purposes. supporting <laughs> this absolute horror. Like again, we're all just. This has been the strange thing about this moment is that we're all every day scrolling through our phones and just seeing the worst things you can imagine every day and. We we see people like John Fetterman just like even when his own constituents are fucking begging him to do to like take a, a moral stand on it, just refusing to do so and actually mocking them, and then yeah, trying to go back to doing this like doing 
memes and stuff and trying yeah. to be trying to like gain kind of some kind of social capital from that it's abs- it's just b- so bizarre honestly it really is man okay the last thing i just wanted to talk about um as well like while we're talking about fetterman and like members of the sort of democratic party who are supporting this just to bring it back to what we were talking about originally about kissinger and about how his like ethos is still very much alive like in the kind of halls of power like seeing uh seeing clips today of john kirby the uh the uh, nsc coordinator at these press conferences and just like it just beggars belief like the way that they're able still to make these arguments saying it's not the israeli defense forces strategy to kill innocent people you know they're trying to go after hamas they don't they don't sit around saying like we we want to kill as many civilians as possible and it's like you know what john i kind of think they do i kind of think they do exactly that they just can't help it that they're really bad at their jobs yeah i mean if you accidentally kill sixteen thousand people like that's you're you're really not good at doing whatever it is you think you're doing like so you think that would maybe even if that were true would maybe cause some people in the United States government to maybe rethink the the full support for what they're doing. And it also is it's in direct contradiction with like statements that people connected to the Israeli government are openly and unapologetically making. And people can see this. You know, people can see these all we can see the violence. We can see what people like Netanyahu and his advisors are saying in the media. And then we have these absolute monstrous dipshits in the United States State Department and the security apparatus still kind of trying to use this kind of language or suggest that they're 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 engaging in some kind of moral crusade to fight a terrorist enemy and protect civilian lives. I think he even said today, who has done more to protect civilian lives in Gaza than the United States of America? <laughs> he actually unironically yeah, right. in a press conference. It's like you're pay, you're sending them the weapons that they're using to Yeah murder thousands of children like (laughs) being killed by u.s made bombs like what the fuck like i can't even fathom how you could sit look in a camera and and say that it's part as a member of the biden administration right now and just not just instantly evaporate in shame it doesn't matter though insane and anyone on cnn is going to take that and be like see this is what john kirby said so we know that they're they're doing a great job to protect people in gaza and here for an interview with anthony blinken we put our best man on the job charles barkley who will now (laughs) press the secretary of state on these important questions the round mound of rebound we call him it's just a fucking mockery it is a it is a fucking joke yeah it's just it's absolutely insane and uh before we sign off too i just wanted to uh talk about uh, uh, the Palestinian writer and uh, educator uh, Rifat Alarir, who is someone that I've been following over the last uh, two months, whose voice has been like really indispensable right now. You kind of lose sight of the fact that like people like Rifat, who, who spoke English fluently and were very eloquent in English, were really able to tell the story of, of what Palestinians experience and connect with people in the Western world. Uh, in a way that wasn't always possible. And it's been absolutely invaluable, his voice over the last uh, couple of weeks. And I was absolutely devastated today to see that he had been killed in an Israeli airstrike, uh, along with several members of his family. You know, I don't know what more you can even say about it. It's just, it's it's especially in light of people like John Kirby sitting there and and still trying to pretend that Israel has some kind of moral leg to stand on or is, is engaging in some kind of like... Uh, targeted 
military operation against terrorism. Like it's not just uh, it's not just Rafat, but I mean they've they've targeted dozens of journalists, journalists' families. It's it is tr- the last few weeks is it's truly been one of the more depraved things, probably the most depraved criminality that I think I've ever seen take place in my lifetime. And you know we've seen Iraq and Afghanistan and Libya and you know a lot of we've seen a lot of horrors being perpetrated by. Uh, you know, either the United States government or even in Israel or elsewhere. You know, this, the war in Yemen was brutal and genocidal as well. But I mean, this is just this the scale and the scope of the horror of this has just been absolutely stunning to try and uh, absorb. Rafat was someone that uh, was really able to tell those stories to people uh, in a really compelling way. And I was just, I was absolutely devastated to know to see that he had been killed today, and I'm really going to miss his uh, his his commentary and his voice. Uh, he was a real he was he was a real giant, and it's uh, I'm it's it's absolutely horrible that he's gone. Also today, Human Rights Watch released a report that found that a Reuters journalist who was killed in southern Lebanon on October 13th in an Israeli strike was. Hit uh, them and six others who were injured. The, this reporter died after reviewing dozens of videos and photographs and satellite images of the incident in the site, interviews with witnesses and military experts. Human Rights Watch concluded this is a report in the New York Times that there was no one nearby, there was no fighting nearby, and they would have been in plain sight of the Israeli military. And that is just absolutely deliberate. Yet another absolutely deliberate targeting of people in a profession or people who have the skills to communicate effectively what Israel is doing in Gaza and what Israel is doing in southern Lebanon to Western audiences. And they're seeking these people out, killing them, and many times killing their family. And Rafat's last tweet being, the Democratic Party and Biden are responsible for the Gaza genocide perpetrated by Israel is grimly fitting. That that is his last words on Twitter. That that's just absolutely fucking horrifying. Yeah, and and again, like, what are we talking? Are we talking about that in our media? You know, we often talk about freedom of the press, and we talk about our our devotion to the free the press freedom, and what that's what sets apart Western liberal democracy from all the other kind of political systems. Not a not a not a word not a word about this from the U.S. government or from anyone in the media. In fact, what we're seeing mostly from the government and the media right now are these bullshit hearings about uh, college students, uh, that pro-Israel college students that feel scared and unsafe on college campuses because people are saying free Palestine, and people are are supporting Palestine on college campuses and demanding that the U.S. government step into. Uh, silence and censor them. You saw these like university presidents being hauled in front of uh, uh, congressional hearings to be demanded that how these calls for Jewish genocide are being allowed on their campuses, which is not happening, should be clear. That's not something that's actually happening. But we're meant in the West now to prioritize the feelings of these college students who think that, who just insist that the that any pro-Palestine activism is somehow like a, a call for their deaths. Uh, and we're supposed to just take that seriously. And uh, we're supposed to prioritize their feelings above the actual genocide and the actual mass murder that we're all witnessing playing out right now. And really, I should let people know as well. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that Al Jazeera documentary, The Lobby, 
which was made a couple of years ago, and uh, it actually never ended up airing because it was it was this expose in the Israel lobby that was actually shut down kind of prior to airing on Al Jazeera. But you can find it on YouTube, and it's a really kind of uh, uh, devastating takedown of how this Israel lobby works and how this Israel lobby has all these arms on college campuses that have been doing this for years. Whenever there's any kind of violence going on in Gaza, whenever there's a sort of uh, People do anything on these on these campuses to support Palestine, to vote on uh, BDS uh, measures, to encourage the universities to follow the BDS and to stop doing business with Israel. And this is the strategy every single time. And you see the way this works if you watch this this documentary, The Lobby. I really uh, recommend people watch it. But then when you see it, like in moments like this, when Israel is engaging this in this in this mass murder ethnic cleansing campaign, and you see these pro-Israel students. Getting talking before Congress and giving these long-winded, uh, sanctimonious speeches about how they feel unsafe. This is all entirely uh, an, a strategy that's been meticulously owned over the years uh, by these lobbying groups like APAC and others that work directly with the Israeli government to uh, to train students to do this kind of stuff. It's it's really nefarious when you see how this works, and then when you see it happening in real time this week. You know, um, it's it's incredibly sinister, and uh, that's it. I, I it's been it, over the last two months. I mean, it's just been unbelievable to see the things that we've talked about in our media and in our discourse, besides the the mass killing and the mass murder and genocide and ethnic cleansing that Israel's engaged in. Uh, it's it's been really really incredible, and it's it's made me feel completely insane. But that's why I have enjoyed, or not enjoyed is maybe not the right word, but the ability to uh, talk to you about it, talk to our audience or on, my, on my show on Twitch, or to be able to try and do whatever we can to inject a small amount of sanity into this uh, completely ridiculous upside down discourse about this. Uh, it is something that I really appreciate a lot that we have the ability to do that. So thank you to you, Jordan. And thank you to the audience as well for uh, for ever coming along with us and allowing us to to speak about this stuff. It's it's made me feel ever so slightly less insane over the last couple of weeks. So I appreciate it. Rob, you're welcome. <laughs> the real hero of this moment really is yeah, Jordan yeah, yeah, when you yeah. think about it. Yep. Uh, okay, well, I think that'll that'll do it for today. Again, thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the podcast and listening. We'll be back next week. Insurgentspod.com for the bonus for bonus content if you want to take a look at that. And that's all. <laughs>